What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Soccer Subs Podcast, Episode 6. My name is Ronnie. I'm your host. I'm joined here by my two Soccer Subs co-hosts, the usual suspects, Christian, Hugh. Fellas, how you guys doing? Episode 6. Yes, baby. I'm excited. I'm so excited. I mean, there's so many transfers, so many things. Episode 6, six-pack, the number of the beast. I mean, there's so many things you can do with that number. But I'm really happy to be here uh, with Hugh and you and... A special guest coming up. Yeah, six. You can use it for a lot of numbers, like the amount of espresso shots Christian had before getting on this call. But anyway, yeah, no, I'm just happy to be back. I'm excited to record this episode. Let's get into it. Hugh, just like you said, we got a special guest joining us a little later. We're really excited about this one. We have Marissa Pila joining us later in the episode. Marissa, the best. She covers the Philadelphia Union. She covers the NWSL. She's on CBS. We're excited to just kind of pick her brain and talk soccer with her. She's going to be an awesome some guests. She's coming up a little later. And fellas, I'm sure you've already seen, but we got a guest joining us also here in the studio. His name is Cayo, one of our loyal supporters. We really appreciate this guy. Cayo, say what's up to the fans, man. How you doing? How's it going, people? Uh, it's a go- it's my pleasure to ble- be here. Uh, you know, I've been here since episode one, and now I'm here talking what we all love, soccer. And right now, I'm currently a sports marketing major, studying to get into the industry of soccer. And if you guys want to know, uh, my favorite team is Sao Paulo with some action Sao in the Liber- Libertadores yeah, and Danny Alves. Danny Alves. It's our so, Ecuadorian Christian Arboleda. Arboleda. I mean, he he's he, he's uh, he's something. <laughs> you can talk. Yeah, he, this is your space. All right, we're gonna give welcome you a to the show, Kaya. Welcome to that. the show, Kaya. Man, excited to have you on for today. And fellas, we got a lot to talk to. We've had a lot of transfer news in the last few weeks. Luis Suarez to Atletico Madrid. Where did that come from? I thought he was going over to Juve. That came out of left field. That's been the new, biggest news as of these past couple of weeks. Gareth Bale to the Tottenham Spurs. We kind of saw that coming, right, fellas? I mean, we knew Gareth Bale hasn't been the happiest at Real Madrid. So finally free. Finally, finally free. <laughs> finally out of the golf course and back to playing soccer. Excited to see what happens with Gareth Bale. Gonzalo Higuain to Inter Miami. Pipita. Yeah, let's get some welcome to the MLS. Excited to have him in Inter Miami along with Blaise Matuidi. Let's see how excited for that one. Arvalo Morata to Juventus. Man, that one was a big one too. I think, I don't know if a lot of soccer fans saw that coming, but that's Mr. Pirlo, the maestro in the works. We're also talking the UEFA Super Cup. Bayern versus Sevilla, and we're also talking Frank De Beer. The Netherlands have a new head coach. So, with all said ado, Christian, I'll start it off with you. What's your top two picks, man, out of the latest transfer news? Ooh. How you feeling about this, man? Man, I mean, this this transfer window, I told you already, it's, it's been crazy. I love uh, Luis Suarez moves and uh, the Gareth Bale move. I mean, with Luis Suarez, you know, he's, he's the third most historic scorer in Barcelona. He scored over almost 200 goals, winning four La Liga titles, four Copa del Reyes, one Champions League. I mean, and you're going to throw him out like that? I think Messi said it uh, in his They let him uh, go Instagram. for free, right? They let him almost for free. I think if he, if, he does, if he performs well, I don't know if it's the Champions League or in La Liga winning winning something, he's gonna, they're going to get like $2 million. Like, really? You're going to sell Luis Suarez almost for nothing? That's, I mean, for, for me, that's incredible. And we saw it. You know, he, he literally scored two goals in 20 minutes for Atletico Madrid. I mean, that's the type of business Barcelona has been doing. But, you know, other than that, I'm happy for Luis Suarez. He's going to do well with Atletico. He's going to use a lot of the time that Simeone is going to give him. And I think, I think he's going to do well. And Gareth Bale, man. I mean, like you said, I think there's better uh, golf courses in uh, London. But uh, I'm not sure if he's, you know, I, I, I hope he's fit. I mean, he did a lot for Real Madrid. I know he didn't get a lot of playing time in his last years, but, you know, he, he scored uh, goals in the finals. You know, he helped them win Champions League titles, and uh, he always gave his best when he was playing. Definitely you part know? of Real Madrid's success. Absolutely. Hugh, how you feeling, man? How you feeling? Which one are your top two picks, Hugh? Well, I guess for me, I want to talk a little bit about Pipita because I have his jersey on, but I also want to talk a little bit about Gareth Bale because, well, Christian mentioned Suarez's accolades, you know, won Champions League, but there's some, you know, 
maybe more decorated Champions League players in this list. <laughs> You're so mean. Uh, it's just, just a couple. I mean, I think it's kind of ironic that Gareth Bale is like the 27th player that Tottenham Hotspur has signed to replace Gareth Bale. And the only thing... The only thing he's bringing back to Tottenham fans is the pain of the fact that he's gone and won four Champions Leagues and he's won more league titles for a team that has performed poorly in their league by their standards than (laughs) Tottenham has in the past like 50 years. So I mean, that's funny for me. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see Pipita in the MLS because I think his move to Inter Miami, it means something. Like, he's not that old. He's, he's like still, I mean, I wouldn't say he's in his prime, but Christian Vieri, who was on the show a while ago, talked about how he thinks Gonzalo Higuain is one of the top five strikers in the world right now. So okay. I think him coming over to MLS is a huge boost for the league. I think it's a huge boost for Inter Miami, and I'm excited to see what he's going to do over here. By the way, former, former uh, Capo Canyoneri with Napoli, so that was, you know, that's way back though. <laughs> I mean, yes, but you know, a class player like that, I think he's gonna do well, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to have him in the MLS. Caio, how you feeling? What are your top two picks, man? Um, I'm gonna stick with uh, Murata to Juve. You know, uh, a- after seeing Murata, Murata played with Pirlo, and uh, and if you look into it, Murata was actually a player that Pirlo wanted at the team. You know, he got rid of Pipita and he brought in Murata. You know, that was the number one target. I think more than Suarez, you know, either you know, if you, I don't know if you guys heard, but Suarez was accused of cheating on his uh, citizenship <laughs> only test. Only in 2020, man. Only in 2020. Uh, it'll, it'll be it'll be good to see Morata in a very, I would say, changed Juventus because you know Pirlo's Pirlo has a plan. And my other transfer, I think, is going to be Bale. You know, I, I uh, I'm a sad to say a Barca fan, and Bale did a lot of works against Barca. But you know, just seeing that video that they made for Bale, like, welcome back home. Bale was a good player when he when he first started at Spurs, and I want to see him under Mourinho. Good takes, Cayo. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with Gonzalo Higuain to enter Miami. Like I just said, really excited to have him in the MLS. I feel like anything associated with David Beckham is associated with some success. So I'm excited for, to see him partnered up with Blaise Matuidi and Rodolfo Pizarro. So let's, let's get it. I, I can't wait to see Gonzalo Higuain in action. I'm also excited for the Gareth Bale to the Tottenham Spurs move. Uh, him and Harry Kane, I think that's going to be some damage. So I'm going to be tuning in to some more uh, Spurs action there. And fellas, we're also talking the UEFA Super Cup, Bayern versus Sevilla. That was a heck of a game. Bayern ultimately took it 2-1. Christian, I'm going to start that one off with you again. What were your takes on that game, man? I mean, I saw Sevilla play uh, in the final, and I was very surprised. And I think they tried to do uh, well with a Bayern team, which is, you know, they were coming up from a game, but they were beat uh, another German team, like eight goals, you know. And I really liked the defensive lines uh, of Sevilla, the dynamics when they were playing, you know, whenever there was a fullback going up and step up to pressure a Bayern player, you saw the midfielders covering each spot. So there were good dynamics there. Ultimately, I think Bayern was just too strong. You know, do you have so many players? Sané was, was looking like he wanted he wanted to win and he was getting shots I mean the goal that uh, Goretzka scored that was a beautiful play by Lewandowski man I think he's turning his back and then he finds he already know where Goretzka is going to be and gives him the pass to shoot that was one of the most amazing goals I've seen this year at least and I, I mean props to Sevilla too you know you have players who, who always perform like Jesus Navas uh, making those crosses and, and Rakitic coming in knowing those plays I think I think Sevilla did well more than they expected it of them you know Bayern is going to be Bayern I think they they have a strong squad they're probably going to try to win the Champions League again but you know the the better team won you know they had so many chances although although the forward from Sevilla had a one-on-one with Neuer and Neuer again man forcing those forwards to shoot to whatever side he wants it's just amazing Manuel Neuer can play until he's 45 he could be another player like before but he's great man and and Bayern won they well deserved Cayo, what are you thinking, man? Did you watch the game? Tell us what you uh, think about the Super Cup. I watched it, and I'm surprised both teams look good playing 120 minutes, like, straight, you know? You know, it's hard because they haven't played that long in so, like, in a long time. And Neuer came out big, and the guy that, that scored the goal, Javi Martinez, actually scored another goal to win them another Super Cup. Uh, he scored a goal back in 2010, I believe, to win the to win the cup for Bayern. 
and he scored against Lucky Sevilla. Charm. History repeats itself, yes, sir. <laughs> Hugh, how you feeling? What do you think of the game, uh, the Super Cup between Bayern and Sevilla? Oh, no, I mean, I think everything really got covered by, by these two guys, but I think my last little take on it was Sevilla played really well. Technically, I thought they were really sound. Bayern sort of played their normal style of football. It was interesting to not see Alfonso Davies start a game and Hernandez okay. started in front of him, which I thought was strange. And hopefully that means Alfonso, hopefully that doesn't mean Alfonso Davies is going to stop getting minutes for Bayern. But if it does, then I don't know what the hell Hansi Flick's thinking. But I was I was happy to see the game. Both teams performed well. And yeah, I think you guys covered the rest of it. Yeah, for me, uh, that was a good game to watch. I'm glad I actually went into extra time. So they played 120 minutes, which is, as a soccer fan, we always appreciate that. I'm going to give props to Sevilla for actually holding Bayern down. You know, this wasn't a blowout. This wasn't, I think I saw fans on Instagram saying, oh, this is going to be an easy 3-0 or a 4-0 blowout. But Sevilla did a good job. And I think props to Lopetegui for you know, I think they're in good hands with Lopetegui as the head coach. So I think the future is bright for Sevilla. I don't know if it would have been a different game with Ever Banega. You know, I think he's um, mm. retired, but I don't know good. if he would have been the game changer. But, hey, man, that was a heck of a game. And I'm really excited to see what Sevilla takes it for this upcoming season for La Liga. All right, fellas, let's talk about Frank De Beer. The Netherlands have a new head coach. Well, he recently just left. Atlanta United, he's the new head coach of the Netherlands. Hugh, how you feeling about this one? Frank DeBeer, I know you've recently talked about him. Yeah, I mean, I got the chance to see him in action a little bit in the U.S., and I actually got a chance to see him in person in the U.S. while he was still playing, oh, while he was still managing Atlanta United. Look, I mean, he he led them to an MLS Cup, but I don't know if that's all him or if it's partially his players. I mean, he had a really good squad at the time, Almiron, Martinez. Martinez is still there, but Almiron was sort of one of the cornerstones of that squad. I think he's a very technically sound manager. If you watch Atlanta United play, they play well. They don't have they don't play like a team with only individual talent. They play with a, like a team with talent as a team, which I think is is really good for for De Beer. And I mean, look. Getting the job of the Netherlands means you're doing something right. And clearly the Dutch Federation sees that in him. He's filling some some pretty big shoes of previous managers. So hopefully he does well. Maybe he might finally win the Netherlands their first World Cup. But we'll see about that. I, I don't I don't know if they can do it in 2022. They're so I, I, lucky with finals, man. Yeah, but I think I think they're a bit far off with talent for 2022. But who knows? Maybe Frankie de Jong will finally have... And like a really, really developed season at, at Barca. So, I mean, well, he's only had one season at Barca, but I don't know. Everyone thought he was going to be amazing. And I think Frank de Beer has a difficult job ahead of him managing the Netherlands because there's a couple of problems in terms of talent with the Netherlands, but there's also just the days of Aryan Robin, Robin Van Persie are over, right? They need to start building up with new young talent and they really don't have that up top. So they need a, I, I'd say they need to work hard in the next two years, really develop some players so that way they can make a bid for at least maybe the quarters, maybe the semis of the 2022 World Cup. They have their star, Memphis Depay. I actually don't like him that much. I, I, I like him, <laughs> but no, I don't know if there's a best He makes He makes good music. <laughs> I didn't even know he made music. <laughs> <laughs> For me, man, I mean, look, here's the thing. One of the things that I realized is that coming to MLS for coaches is maybe it's not a bad idea anymore, man. I, I think with Greg Berhalter taking the U.S. job after after being at Columbus and then Tata Martino taking Mexico, and now we see Frank De Beer uh, leaving Atlanta United and going to the Netherlands. You know, maybe people can pay more attention to that, you know. But for him... You know, he left Atlanta with 31 wins and 19 losses. Again, a good record. He won the U.S. Open Cup. I think the Copa de Campeones with, uh, against America from Mexico. I, I think a lot of things that happen is that you lose Almiron and then you have Piti Martinez, which, you know, it's a difference, you know, because I think, I don't know, Almiron just seemed more hungrier, just willing to do anything for the coach, you know. And Piti, I don't know, man, he, he seems sometimes moody the way he played. So there were differences. Uh, I think they lost Gressel too. And uh, Atlanta they lost Barco United. Ezekiel Barco is now. Yeah. He, he left. Yeah. He, yeah. So you see, you have all these, uh, all these changes. And well, we heard it. I think we, they said that they mutually parted ways. I don't know if he wanted to be with, some, with his family in the Netherlands. But, you know, I, I, I give him props for being an MLS. And hopefully I wish him, you know, wish him well in, in the Netherlands. Hopefully he stays much longer than he did with Atlanta. And, and, and like you said, he, maybe he wins the cup. But I don't know, man. Netherlands is, they got to do some let's, more. more let's see what they pull out of the bag at Euro 2021 <laughs> before we 
before we make any judgments on. on <laughs> I, I retract good. any previous statements. Caio, <laughs> how you feeling, man? How's what are your thoughts on uh, Frank De Beer becoming a new head coach? It's it's a very big shoe for him to fill, you know. Ooh. It's it's you know Coleman leaving Netherlands to go to Barca leaves that spot for somebody who knows what they're doing. And Frank De Beer is the guy. Even after, I I don't I don't like to hear you know MLS is not the league to be because the MLS is the league to be right now. And that's growing. That's not, you know, you already have South America here. Europe is coming. You know, this is going to be the league. And I, I, I disagree with the Netherlands not having potential because they, their last few games, you know, I think they, they beat or they, they, Germany tied to them last minute, mm-hmm. last time they played. And it's, Frank de Boer has what he needs. I think he just needs to, it's going to be different from what Coleman had because, you know, Coleman had the form of the players, you know, Virgil van Dijk, Depay was in good form, De Jong, and we'll see. I, I have Netherlands as one of the contestants of Euro 2021. Ooh. <laughs> we first. 2022, we're going to bring this back. And let's see what happens, you know? Yeah, for me, I'm actually wishing all the best to Mr. Frank De Beer, the Netherlands. I'm looking at the roster, man. You know, I, I think talent-wise, they have they definitely have potential. I'm looking at Virgil van Dijk, Memphis Depay, Frankie De Jong, Donny van der Bleek, Delight, yep, Delete. Uh, yeah, man, I mean, they got Wijnaldum too. Overall, I think he's going to do a good job. Let's see how it goes with him as a new head coach. I know he, Europe is stacked against other teams. You know, you, you got Italy, you got Portugal, you got Spain as well. But I'm excited to see where he can take them. So let's see how that Por- goes. Portugal, you mean Wolverhampton? And fellas, we also got some MLS going on. One quick thing to note is what the heck is going on in San Jose? And we've seen some past few blowouts oh. against the San Jose Earthquakes. Oh. We've seen a lot a 5-0 loss versus the Colorado Rapids at Colorado. We saw a 6-1 loss versus Portland at home. They lost 7-1 versus Seattle Sounders in Seattle. Jesus. Uh, man, what's going on over there, fellas? I mean, quick takes on what do you think is going on over in San Jose? I feel so bad for Matias Almeida, man. This is, uh, He's a great guy. He won a lot of things in Mexico. I mean, I think he said it himself. He, You know, you can't expect me to do miracles with this team. And I don't know if that hurt the squad's confidence. Yeah. You know, and, and it's it's tough. It's tough to say that. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's too much to, for him to handle. The man marking isn't working. Or maybe they're just not going to work for him because the players aren't right, like confidence. I think there's a difference between not being able to perform a miracle and not being able to stop the team from losing 7-1. Like, Good point. <laughs> for, for me... I think what the, the San Jose's problem is they played a really nice and innovative style of football in the MLS's back tournament and no one knew what to do with it, right? No one no one knew what they were gonna pull out of the bag. And now everyone knows exactly what they're gonna do every time they step onto the pitch because they got to watch them play five or six games in the MLS's back tournament and their tournaments are now in a playbook and everyone knows how to react to and respond to them. Mm. So their problem is they're kind of running up against a wall in terms of what they can do. They've got, to, they've got to play more traditionally now if they want to actually start not losing games by huge goal margins because what teams are doing is they're looking at, okay, let's try to take advantage of this man marking, move players around into open spaces, create spaces by pulling defenders and stuff like that. And teams are actually figuring out how to bust open their defense and score goals. And that's just what's happening, right? Like it's the classic fault of a high press man marking team because they haven't adapted to their opponents and their opponents have adapted to them. And that's, I think where they're just sort of, they're losing ground on the rest of the MLS, whereas the rest of the MLS has the upper hand against them. Yo, Hugh, just real quick. I'm looking at the Western conference of the MLS, man. And I got to say, just like the NBA, I think the Western conference is looking good, man. You got the Seattle Sounders, the Portland Timbers, LA Galaxy starting to look a little good. You got LAFC. And since we're talking MLS real quick, a quick shout out to Ebed from NYCFC. He, uh, he has a torn ACL. He's out for the rest of the season. But Ebed, if you're hearing this uh, or listening to the show, we wish you a speedy recovery, man. NYCFC fan over here, uh, wishing you the best. We, we definitely wish you the best, man. I mean, I'm a Rebels fan, but obviously injuries are another thing. But uh, yeah, let's see if uh, New York City feels uh, a little bit of the the weight when you don't have a player like that. Me and Kai are happy, though. We're Rebel fans. So anything, I mean, not New happy, York, but... <laughs> New York will always be red. And... Ah, I'm outnumbered yes. here on the show. I'm outnumbered here. Actually, no, no it's even. It's two and two. And here, two and two. Okay, I like the, I like the balance. <laughs> That's what I'm wearing my hat right now. Viking Army, shout out. What's up, baby? New Jersey. And, New York is red. And fellas... 
And fellas, real quick, I know you guys want to talk Copa Libertadores. We've had some good action among some South American teams. Christian, I'm going to pass that one off to you. Hey, man, no, one of the things I wanted to, to speak with Caio, obviously our first guest, and I'm really happy you're here, but he's a Sao Paulo fan. Uh, you know, I, want, I wanted to ask you, what, what's going on with Sao Paulo? What do you think of the Libertadores run? And, yeah, we have an Ecuadorian team in that same group too. So, yeah, what are your thoughts, brother? Well, Sao Paulo, it's, it's, it's hard to be a fan right now, you know. We've been in a seven-year drought without a trophy. Last time we played, uh, we won a trophy was in 2013 in the Sulamericana against the Tigres that never came back. So I, I wouldn't really count that as a Libertadores this year. Uh, after Before this pause, we were looking good. Mm -hmm. You know, we had Danny Alves in full shape, you know, a few youngsters. We actually lost one of our most important players in the winter transfers, Anthony, who's actually at Ajax right now, and he's popping off, you know, if you guys want to see somebody and Sao Paulo uh, right now to qualify is they're fighting against the odds, you know, 2% of making it out of the group stage and top two. They play River Plate on uh, this week and they have to win by 11 goals. So I, I won't clear it out now, but that's but a I'll, tough challenge, man. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take the third and then we'll win the Sulamericana, you know. <laughs> I like the confidence. No, I mean, I mean, Sao Paulo, you know, have to go play in the altitude and in Quito. And I know that stuff, man. I know people say that's no, that's not true, you know, or maybe that's, that's, that's just a legend. But playing in Quito is, is tough, man. And Sao Paulo, you know, I think there's still, uh, it's still Sao Paulo. The history just, you know, puts a big weight on, on things. And I don't know. I, I, let's see who, who's going to make it through the stages. But other than that, you know, what, what, what is your, uh, your expectation? in the Brazilian league more than anything. So the Brazilian league right now is very tight. You know, in my opinion, there's a lot of controversy. One of the tightest competitions in the world because you, you can't say who's the champion from the... We played 38 games. And Sao Paulo's up there, you know? Sao Paulo, uh, we just signed a player from Grêmio who can't play in the Libertadores because oh, before, before, before the pause, it was, in, it was the Grêmio Inter Classic, which... There was, I think, eight red cards in the game. And, I've never seen that. And uh, the guy that we, we swapped with him had a five-game suspension, so he can't play uh, in the Libertadores, so he's clear for the, for the Brazilian League, which, you know, we're, we're up there. We're in third, I believe. We have a good goal scorer. Danny Alves just plays everywhere, which I don't like. You know, he has to play a certain spot. You know, sometimes I remember his first games for Sao Paulo, he played at number 10. He's mm -hmm. number 10, but he played at the 10. And we have, you know, the likes of Juan Fran, who's good. Hernanes, who's good at, with uh, Lazio and Juve. One of my favorites, you know. He's really proven it. This year, there's a chance. Oh, no, that's some good takes, man. I definitely want to see what happens in the next couple of months. And, and yeah, the Brazilian league is tough, man. By the way, Dominic uh, Tor Torrent for Flamengo for the New York City FC boys. Yeah, that, 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 that caught me off guard, but, you know, he's doing work, you know. The, the one reason why he's there is because of his work with Guardiola, you know. Mm -hmm. And they had uh, the likes of Rafinha who played with Guardiola. So that's the one reason why he came in. And they had like likes of Pablo Mari, who's at Arsenal right now. That Spanish connection, you know? Yeah, yeah. You never know. I mean, give him some time. And he, I think he did well over here in the MLS. So we're going to see about that. Wait, right. Christian, you just said an NYCFC manager did well in the MLS. Can we can we clip that? Can we get that as, a, can we, can we hey, get that as an official statement from a Rebels fan? Hey, I'm a Rebels fan. Kai is a Rebels fan. I speak the facts. I, I'll say the truth, although it hurts me to say that, okay? Well, let, let's also remember the truth that he said last episode where you can count Red Bull fans on one hand. So we've got, what, half of the Red Bull fans in New York? <laughs> it's on Spotify, so we got you on record, Christian. <laughs> All right, fellas, we got to get to our special guest. Marissa Pila is coming up right Right now we're really excited to have her coming up we're talking nwsl we're talking mls we're talking philadelphia union let's get it all right soccer fans we have a special guest joining the podcast today She's a Philadelphia area native. She's a broadcaster for MLS's Philadelphia Union. She's also been an ESPN correspondent for the NWSL, the National Women's Soccer League. She's covered it all. She's done the NBA, NCAA football for regional sports networks. We're really excited to have her on the show. Let's please give a warm welcome to Marissa Pila. Woo! 
Thanks, guys. Ole, Thanks for the, uh, ole, ole, the resume ole. read. <laughs> hey, we had to we had to get the intro right. We had to uh, quick uh, fact check. So thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being on the show, Marissa. Really appreciate your time, especially you know early morning. We wanted to just kind of kick off the show and just kind of the interview with you. First things first, how have you been? We're sure you're excited to have sports back just in general. Us, we're soccer fans, so we're just glad to have soccer back in our lives. And just kind of a two-parter, how have you been? And if you could just kind of walk us through how you got into broadcasting and your love for soccer. We we read that your dad was an Inter Milan fan and just kind of walk <laughs> us through how everything just kind of all started. Sure. Well, first of all, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. And I think all sports fans can agree when sports come back it's kind of a sense of normalcy in such an unnormal world that we live in yes. right now so I think it was like March 14th is like the day I call it the day that like the world stopped and like all sports were canceled and I was so excited because MLS had just started up and I'm a big college basketball fan and March Madness was around the corner and it was just like well what do I do with my time and my yeah. <laughs> everything that's all so, of us what do we do with our lives yeah right and I think it, it made people realize how much you need sports not just for entertainment but just to make you feel good and to make you connect with something bigger bigger than yourselves, which is why I think we all became sports fans to begin with. So yeah, I, it's been great that that everything is back at this point right now with NFL kicking off soon and to have soccer back has been awesome because that's my summer. From March to October, November, I'm just in and out of soccer stadiums and studios and it's what I love to do. Love um, so being able to be out um, in Utah for the NWSL Challenge Cup was an experience within itself living in that bubble. And now that we're back to in-market play with MLS and the NWSL season starting back up, it's it's exciting and it's nice and it's very, very welcomed on my end because not only do I get to work and do what I love, but it's just I have something to watch at night other than Netflix for like the 500th time. Yep. <laughs> I think we've watched everything on the uh, Indian matchmaking. Uh <laughs> oh, I wanted to watch that. <laughs> Was it yeah. good? Yeah, it's been good. I've been watching it with it my girlfriend. Uh, geez, I mean, uh, Tiger King came about the time uh, earlier this yeah, year. Yeah, Tiger King saved Took me over. for about like a week. Yeah. yeah. The conspiracy on Carol that. Baskins, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah that, that feels like six months ago that that came right? out. Right? It it's, like, like, it's like two or something. I feel, I, I feel like a completely different person. Like I was down <laughs> a rabbit hole of like Carol Baskin and I was like on Wikipedia and stuff. It was just, it occupied me for enough time. Yeah. For sure, for sure. And, um, and Marissa, just kind of, how did everything kind of start with you and broadcasting? I'm sure this is something you've probably studied for and you wanted to do since you were a little kid. Just kind of walk us through how, just, I mean, maybe a long story short, but how everything kind of just fell through for you. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it all really does start with my dad. As you said, he was an Italian immigrant. He moved uh, to America when he was about 17, 18 years old with his family. And he just kind of raised us to be Italian soccer fans. Um, and I started playing really young. And um, I think at a certain age, I realized like, maybe I don't have like a future playing, but I could have a future talking mm -hmm. about it because I always enjoyed writing and I always enjoyed, I really thought I was going to be like a magazine writer or a novelist when I was little. And then luckily my high school actually had a broadcast class and I took it on a whim and I really fell in love with it. So, and then it kind of clicked that like, oh, I can combine sports and journalism and study sports journalism. Yeah. <laughs> so I went to the University of Maryland and I had a great time down there. Um, great program. And I just knew from maybe sophomore, junior year of high school, I wanted to be a broadcaster. So I just like continued to work and follow that dream and, and it's really it's paid off for me amazingly and I love I really do love what I do and I'm sure you guys can you know relate where like you go to work and you do things for work and it doesn't really feel like work because it's fun and you get exactly. to cover something you love and you know I feel bad I hear friends complain about their jobs and I'm like oh, mine's pretty great so <laughs> <laughs> it kind of all started with that love for soccer and it kind of snowballed into a love for mostly all sports and just wanting to tell people stories and and you know just add to the the excitement of a live game. Yeah, for sure. I know we just recently had on on the podcast, Mr. Phil Shane from BN Sports, and uh, he gave us a really cool piece of advice. If you're undecided in college, you can never go wrong with journalism because you're yeah. going to need journalism almost anywhere you go. That was, I mean, I wish I knew that a few a years back. Yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> no. Like, and they always told us like, if you know how to write, you'll always get a job. And it's so true because even though there's different writing styles and different things you have to write for, like if you can write well, like you'll mm -hmm. always be employable. Absolutely. 
so once again, thank you so much, Marissa, for joining us. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. <laughs> One of the things that I admire is that, you know, you've worked and covered NBA, MLS, NFL, NCAA uh, in a broadcasting industry where most, maybe some or most uh, professional broadcasters decide to follow one track, a uh, specific sport. How have you been able to adapt to cover a wide variety of sports? Oh, that's a great question because I think it is something that's common where people think, oh, I need to um, show that I'm an expert in this field or that field. And like I said, I think we all became sports fans because we love the game. And I just grew up watching so many different sports. And my whole year revolved around, okay, now it's football season, a basketball season, a softball season, like it all kind of revolved around sports. So for me, it was kind of a no brainer that like, well, I like, I truly enjoy everything. I want to try everything. And so I, my first job on air uh, was covering the Washington Washington Wizards down in Washington, D.C. And I, I love basketball. And to me, I was like, wow, okay, I'm going to be a basketball reporter. And then I started doing college basketball coverage. I'm like, wow, I'm going to be a college basketball reporter. And then it evolved and evolved. And recently, it's been mainly soccer. But I think it's always good to like stay um, versatile in what you can cover. Um, and just let people know that you're interested in more than one thing. And I love covering soccer, especially because it takes up most of the calendar year. So I feel like of I'm course. always working. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, there's different sports provide different things for you as a broadcaster. You get to tell different stories and different things become more um, notable or you pay attention to different things. And I just try to stay in the loop with everything, just not only because I enjoy it, but because it's good at from a professional side and being there to kind of always put my two cents in. And I think, you know, I think it's good for everybody to kind of stay versatile and have your hands in everything. Yeah, you're definitely very prepared. Actually, uh, <laughs> that was going to be my, my second question, you know, touching on broadcasting. So we obviously follow you on social media. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and one day, I think you posted a picture where you were holding with both hands at least 20 pages yeah. <laughs> of notes. And I like to take notes, but my note-taking style is an embarrassment compared to yours. <laughs> Nowhere near unmatched. No oh, near. gosh. So, you know, I want to ask you, you know, maybe your techniques and, and maybe how do you, your step-by-step -step process and how do you prepare to cover a game or an event? Sure. Yeah. And I think it's so individualized for each person. I'm a little bit of like a note-taking nerd. Like I need to write everything down or else it'll never stick in my brain. And the picture you're talking about, I had just finished up the semifinal matches for the NWSL, NWSL Challenge Cup. And I kept all my game notes throughout the whole tournament because I'm like, oh, these will be good to refer back to. And then I was in this one bedroom apartment out in Utah and I looked at my coffee table. I'm like, oh my God, like I look like a crazy person. I have all of these notes in different handwritings and colored pens. And I'm like, I look like I'm, you know, like a serial killer with hey, all you these need notes. That so you need that. I, I grabbed them all up and like took a picture of them. And honestly, that was like maybe half of the notes. So the oh way I work is like, I, I don't know if this will work for everybody, but I try to take notes in a notebook, like just bullet points of, you know, the teams and everything happening in different colored pens. I write questions off of those stats. So like if a certain stat stands out to me, I'm like, oh, what would be a good question to ask about that when I get to talk to the coaches or players? And then I make, I have like um, one of those legal pads, but it's graph paper. So I can, I'm very OCD. So I like to graph out perfect little squares on the charts <laughs> and write in each colored block, like keys to the game, what to look for, quotes from the coaches. And I make those for each like game board for each game I cover on the sidelines. So it kind of goes from like notes in a notebook to like, I log my interviews as I talk to them on the computer. So I have like live logs and then I combine those into my final product. So it's a little excessive. <laughs> but it works for me. Oh, that's awesome. For me, the whole thing is like visually, especially on the sidelines, I have to be able to look down real quick and see something that I need. I can't be like flipping through. So I try to make it super, super clear, like what I'm looking for, which is why for me, color coding works. But I really, I look like that nerd in science class in like 10th grade. Like I have <laughs> highlighters and pens and yeah, all of that. that. So yeah. I try to just keep it super simple, but the process beforehand is very, very complicated. <laughs> No, it's impressive. <laughs> it's it's much more technical than the script for our show, which is usually, uh, uh, like a piece of printer paper with a couple of bullet points on it leading out yeah. to how we're going to interview people. Whatever um, works for you guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll get a little bit more technical from now on. But so I had a question more surrounding your work with the Philadelphia Union. Obviously, we know you've been working with the, the Union for a while now. 
we've seen a lot of growth in terms of the soccer scene in Philadelphia throughout maybe the last 10, 20 years. You know, obviously the building of Subaru Stadium. And then recently we've seen a lot of high quality players being brought in like Michael Fabian a couple of years ago and a player this year, Warren Cravail, having a really big influence on the MLS back tournament designing the warm up tops. How do you think the soccer culture in Philadelphia has grown in recent times? And how do you think the growth of that culture will impact the city? Well, I I love that question, too, because I started covering the union about five years ago. So this is my fifth season. And I think over that time, when I first got in there, Jim Curtin had just finished up, um, you know, like his interim period. So it wasn't quite his team um, before I came. And the first year I covered them, it was really like his team in full for a full season. And I think with him and all the different changes they've had at GM and and things like that, a vision has started to really started to develop where when I started, it was kind of the seedlings of it, of who they want it to be. And now kind of five years later, there's such a strong sense of that. And really like Ernst Tanner has done such a great job of bringing in really talented players that are maybe a little under the radar. Um, I know there's always that joke going around that like the union play money ball in MLS Um, But they're very aware that like they don't have an Atlanta's budget or an NYCFC's budget and they really make do with what they have. And you can see from last year having the most successful season in club history, it's worked for them. And to have players like Katsper Shabilko kind of come out of the woodwork and and really continually be a strong presence for them, but also a player like Alejandro Bedoya, who came in a couple years ago and has been that keystone that they build a team around just from a moral aspect too. And too, like Warren Craval, he's been there longer than I have. And he is always somebody that has had such a strong voice with, within the Black community and, and wanting to talk about things like that. And I'm so happy that he has a platform now to put those messages out because he's been talking about this and doing things like this for a while. This is who he is. This is what he cares about. He's very, very artistic in many different senses. And for his shirts to be talked about on a national level now is huge and I don't know him that well personally, but I'm super proud of him because I know this is something that really means a lot to him. And I think the culture around the union right now is, you know, showing that, you know, because for a while it was like, oh, we're the new kids in town. Like we're no longer the new kids. We haven't been the new kids in a while. So who are we besides that? And I think they really started to develop that and the kind of soccer they want to play. And Jim Curtin has been such a great coach for them. And in the city itself, like when maybe I started out, people didn't really you know, talk about the union that much. But now I have neighbors who I see after game days wearing union hats and union shirts, and I can talk about that that with them while we walk our dogs. And it's just really starting to become more of a discussion here. And I really, really appreciate that because Philly's such a great sports city. I grew up outside of the city, so I, I love it. But I know it's it's very much set in its ways of being an Eagles like city, being a Philly city or you know, when the Sixers and Flyers want to do well, too. We talk about that. But to kind of get the union in that discussion and soccer as a whole, it has been really fun for me to watch. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And Marissa, I had a quick question. And sticking with soccer and just shifting over into the NWSL, and uh, that's kind of where we're really excited to have you because you have that experience covering them. We wanted to just talk about the the growth of the league and the sport, I guess, in women's soccer. Have you seen the the sport grow as of these past two, three years with Team USA women's taking the gold? Looking at the NWSL and the MLS respectively, you know, I was looking up, there's really only nine teams in the NWSL and 26, I believe, in the MLS. So mm-hmm. I think my question for you was, do you think there's more work to do in the National Women's Soccer League, I guess, expanding? And have you been hearing about possible other cities that the NWSL could expand on? Because I feel like that balance, you know, nine to 26, right. I'm like, I, something's up. Right. And, you know, during the Challenge Cup, we announced that two different teams will be joining the league. So Louis Racing Louisville is coming in next season, oh, which awesome. is really exciting. Uh, if you haven't checked out their um, like color launches, they went with this really cool color scheme of like lavender and dark purple. And it's something really different because I'm sure you guys too, hopefully, um, we love, I love those like old kind of like flashy soccer uniforms mm-hmm. from like the 90s. Where, yeah, like, the really kids with us. Like the Jorge Campos jersey from... Yeah, like they were just like such like strong Mm -hmm. colors. They don't make them like that anymore. No, and now everything's super sleek and I love that too. But like, I love like a 90s style uniform any day. But Racing Louisville really went out on a limb with their color scheme. So they're coming into the league. And then Angel City is is a club that's going to be starting in 2022 out in LA and has 
huge backers from Natalie Portman and, and we Serena heard about Williams that. Yes, and so many celebrities are behind yeah. it as well as former U.S. women's national team players, which is great because you have people who understand the entertainment side and the soccer side. So there's a lot of growth in the league. And two, I think you have to look at where the MLS, where MLS is 25 years this season and where NWSL is, which is probably like the eighth, eighth season, ninth season. Okay. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but really this is the longest running professional women's soccer league that the U.S. has ever seen because there's been so many other leagues that kind of started strong and maybe sputtered out. But NWSL has been around for longer than any professional women's league. And I think it keeps getting stronger. Um, so to kind of compare that, in maybe two years, there'll be 11 teams compared to what MLS has. And I mm-hmm. think it's starting to build um, because too, I remember when this MLS season kicked off and people were talking about year one of MLS and how bare bones it was. And, sure. you know, and it's kind of, that's where NWSL is leaving kind of that phase and getting into the next one. I think it's really exciting. There's so many great players, the U.S. women's national team players included, mm-hmm. but there's also really great players who, you don't really know of. And that was kind of one of our goals for the challenge cup was to tell those stories of people like Bethany Balser who went undrafted uh, in her year. And she was rookie of the year last year uh, against all these other women who played at D one schools and came from big programs. She was completely undrafted. She was signed to the team two weeks prior to the season and she was rookie of the year. And there's also like other great stories out there. So that's kind of our goal. That was our goal with the Challenge Cup and when we continue to cover it of sharing these stories um, because it goes so much further than the national team, which is amazing that we have these women in our league because they're incredible people. They stand for a lot more than just soccer. And I love that about them. Um, They use their platforms so, so well. Um, and then there's also players out there who might fly under the radar or international players like Rachel Daly, who was a star in the Challenge Cup. And she's a British international player. And she's mm-hmm. probably one of my the players I love watching the most. She mm-hmm. has such tenacity and fearlessness on the field. So she's she's another great example of somebody people might not know fully, but can get to know through the league. And I think only good things are going to come out of this league soon. And I think they're very forward on social movements and things like that and letting their players have a voice. Oh, that's huge. I know, um, quick thing before somebody goes on the question, but I remember, I think, <laughs> was it Phil or was it, uh, we had recently Marcelo Balboa, oh, Team was, USA cat. And I think he mentioned when he was first coming onto the MLS with Metro Stars or I think Colorado Rapids, they told him, like, look, this is a brand new league, MLS. We probably only have money for about three years and we don't know what's going to yeah. happen next. <laughs> yeah. But just it's crazy how you're talking about that and just, you know, how, how much it's come along for sure. And I mean, it is. It's, and it's insane to hear those stories about year one in MLS. Like it was just kind of like it sounded like the Wild West. Like, OK, we're just going <laughs> to play soccer and see what happens. And yeah. like in, the inside of me is like, oh, my God, like I could never do that. But like I'm so <laughs> glad other people did so now i can cover 25 years later <laughs> it's huge it must have been a logistical nightmare trying to oh deal gosh. with the accounting for year one mls um yeah. but you touched on the women's national team and the quality of players and then also the quality of international players uh, probably the the name that pops in my head immediately is marta with orlando you know she's probably she's i'd equate her to like the david beckham of the women's game because everyone knows who she is she's like the international celebrity she's the brand but i think my question regarding this is obviously with the success of the u.s women's national team winning more world cups than any other women's national team the united states in terms of the women's game is probably the world's biggest powerhouse in terms of development in terms of creating really really top quality players do you think that as a, there's a possibility that the women's game will lead as a gateway for the entire American soccer scene to become more competitive and become on a more potential like European quality level, because we already see that with the top players uh, in the women's game are playing in the United States mm-hmm. um, versus, you know, you see the top players in the men's game in Europe. Do you think maybe that balance would eventually sort of come together as you see top quality in the Americas as well as in Europe, or do you think it's going to stay sort of broken up like it is now? I don't know. I think that's hard to say. I think, you know, with the women's league, they are very unique because the women's national team has this pedigree of winning and being champions from like day one. People expect so much of them. And I know on the men's side, it's a little more, it's a little different. 
um, in terms of, you know, world tournaments and things like that. And with the women's national team, it's just become so synonymous with World Cup champions, Olympic champions, and all that sort of thing. And if you don't win the gold, you didn't do well, essentially. So I think it'd be interesting to see how that continues to develop. And I think, too, with MLS, what they've been doing well is with their academy programs and keeping young talent here and really developing them here. Like, in, in Philly, we have Brendan Aronson, who's 19 years old, and he's playing out of his mind. And if I think mm-hmm. back to what I was doing at 19, it certainly wasn't oh, what here. he's doing. <laughs> and, and the team just signed his younger brother to a, to a yeah. um, first-team contract, who's 16. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I think what MLS is doing well right now is developing those young players. You know, you see it all over with, like, FC Dallas and so many other teams do that well. And I, I would love to see that opportunity come on the women's side, too. There's so many young women out there who – only get to develop their game in college Um, and to kind of have that um, further that I think could only mean good things for the national team going forward. Youth is gold. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like uh, the, the success of the women's team is, is like, it always pours in. I think the New York city utilities in terms of cleaning up the confetti after the parades (laughs) are kind of small. Oh gosh, I wouldn't want that. It feels, it feels like every two years we have a, we have another parade (laughs) down by wall street. But yeah, these women know how to party. I love that about them. <laughs> hey, uh, Marissa, just from our end, I know we, we should have probably touched on this in the beginning. You know, as a broadcaster and everything and somebody who's been on, a, I guess, coming on a national level now, who are some of the people you looked up to, you know, on TV, broadcasting? It could be anybody really as a host or anything. Were there any people that you idolized when you were younger trying to get on TV or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I think Michelle Tafoya has always been somebody who stuck out to me. I think she's just always so clean and concise in her reporting. And I love that. But Kate Abdo, I mean, I watch her and I'm like, you're, oh, uh, awesome. you can't even be a human, <laughs> like how talented you are. And that's somebody I always watch Rebecca Lowe. Like they just do such a good job um, hosting and, and kind of keeping and corralling a conversation and keeping everything together in a show. And plus Kate Abdo speaks like a billion languages. So that helps a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but she to me is someone I've always watched as like someone who's always very clean and polished in her reporting and obviously is super prepared and that's kind of what she's I would like craft. to emulate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's out of this world. And hey Marissa, this is probably my last question before we start wrapping it up soon. You know, we know you've covered a bunch of you know sports moments and all that <laughs> in your time uh, on TV. What's been your favorite biggest sports moment that you've covered? We know you're from a Philly area, so we yeah. wanted to ask you: Was it the Eagles uh, Patriots back in 2018 for the Super Bowl, or oh god, or anything as I, of recent? I, I mean, I wish I got to be part of the Super Bowl coverage, oh. <laughs> but I was actually part of I was part of the regular season coverage up until playoffs. So I was in the stadium doing like red zone updates and stuff, which was amazing. And that season, it was just so special. Like, I don't know if you've ever been around a team that you could feel there was something special about them, but every home game that year was just unreal. And I mean, I always say like the Super Bowl was one of the best days of my life. Like I got married later that year and it was still like Super Bowl wedding. Like it was like, <laughs> in that order. It was unreal. That was probably one of my favorite sports moments of all time. But covering wise, I think last year's NWSL championship game was really exciting down in North Carolina. And then I was just out in Portland for MLS opening weekend back in February before the world came to an end. And that was a crazy fun environment to be in Portland with all their fans on opening weekend. So the kind of those big moments, like the championships, the opening weekends, they're always fun to cover. Oh, that's huge. That's huge. Thank you so much. Um, so speaking of fun moments, we have uh, on average at least 12 to 15 bloopers uh, <laughs> per episode. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, do you have any anecdotes or any fun memories that uh, you can share with us? Hmm, like blooper wise? I'm trying to think. I try to avoid Has anything bloopers. just gone run on set at all or anything like that? I'm sure there's bloopers <laughs> oh, behind I the scenes. Oh, I remember one time. It was maybe like my second year covering the union as like their pregame host. And like you're told, like live TV, like you just roll with it. If something happens, like as long as you're not like deathly injured, just like keep talking. 
So I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm making all these good points and like a huge bug lands right uh. on my forehead. <laughs> and I'm talking and I'm like, I, and I know it's there. And my co-host is like staring at it. I'm like, I know it's there. I know I can feel it. So I'm just like finishing my sentence as soon as like the camera shuts off. I like whack it away. Or there's been times where like I'm in the middle of a hit and it's windy and my hair blows and sticks right into my mouth. And I'm just talking and chomping on my hair. I'm like, this is disgusting. But like, I can't acknowledge it because it looks worse. And so like, Stuff like that, where like you can't yeah. control and you're just like, you're told yeah, to it happens. with it. It happens to the best yeah. of us. I asked myself, like, what would Beyonce do? I'm like, she would just keep going through it. So like, that's what I had to do. When you, when you told the story about the bug, all I could think of was James Rodriguez at the 2014 World Cup with that huge grasshopper oh that landed God. on his shoulder. Oh, <laughs> that thing was ginormous. That yeah. was unreal. Yeah. That's how I felt. I was just like, I know it's there, but like, don't acknowledge it because then everybody else will acknowledge it. <laughs> Yeah. And, and hey, Marissa, before we let you go, probably our last question. This is a big question, so we got to know. Okay. Say you got a long day ahead of you. We know you do pre-game coverage, the game, and then post-game coverage after. Uh, you know you got a long day ahead of you. What's your go-to meal, go-to breakfast? I'm sure you're on the road a lot. Uh, yeah. What's your go-to cheat, you know, cheat meal, or, you know, if you got, if you got a long day, what do, you, what do you grab? Yeah. After the end of, like, a long game, especially if I'm the ro on the road, like, it's usually a huge, like, cheeseburger and fries just because yes. I want to, like, eat it time. and pass <laughs> out. Yeah. So For it's sure. either, like, cheeseburger or, like, mac and cheese. And then I'm – because I try to eat well, like, like most people do. For but, sure. like, at the end of, like – you're traveling, you're tired, no one's giving you food you an hour, yourself. so you're like, you know what, <laughs> charge it to the room, give me a cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this awesome. one's on ESPN. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you so much for answering our questions. It definitely yeah, meant a lot you being on the show. Us. We hope you come back again. We really that's... appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much, Marissa. Yeah, thank you thank so you much guys. for giving us your time. Yes, absolutely. It was great uh, chatting with you guys. All right, guys. That was the interview with Marissa Pila. She was awesome. We were really excited to have her on the show. Marissa, thank you so much again for being on with us. What you guys think? Oh, my God. I'm learning her techniques. I'm writing nicely now, you know? You so got I Christian have... writing notes now. Thank you. Thank you, Marissa, for everything. You helped in my uh, podcast career. And, fellas, that kind of wraps it up for Episode 6. I'm going to do a quick outro round. Hugh, say what you want to say to the fans before we wrap up, man. Okay, so this is usually where I tell you to follow us on all of our social media, so I'll do it again. <laughs> uh, we have an Instagram, Soccer Subs Podcast, follow us there. We have a Twitter, Soccer Subs Podcast, follow us there. We YouTube did channel coming soon. Yeah, YouTube channel coming soon. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> uh, we did a – make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Do all that stuff. Do all that nice stuff to support us. And we may be branching out, doing some other stuff in the future. Uh, we've been doing some giveaways recently. So make sure you're keeping up to date with the socials as well as following them because we also got some cool information. That's where we announce our guests. And that's where we let you know when there's a new episode out. So make sure to check us out there. And that's all for me. Gallo, say peace out to the fans, man. Thank you. Thank you. I uh, hope you guys enjoy. And it was a pleasure talking to you guys. Yes. You're amazing, Kyle. I'm going to say that. Um, uh, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. You already know it. The voice of the people. Ready to bring you information, action, and all good things. And for myself, everyone, thank you so much for the support. Uh, that's it for today for episode six. Don't forget to give us a follow on Instagram, Soccer Subs Podcast on IG. Also, feel free to shoot us an email, soccersubspodcast at gmail. If you guys have any questions, anything you want us to cover. And guys, thank you so much for the support. We'll see you guys in episode seven. Yeah.